Chapter forty eight of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Larry Wilson. Gilbert Keith Chesterton by Maisie Ward. Appendix C The Chestertons. The composition of The Chestertons is not without interest for the student of legendary literature. By a curious paradox, the book had to be strikingly untrue to be accepted as true, since the jokes about sisters-in-law are legion, so that mere commonplace shafts of what is called feminine spite would have gained little credence. Yet, on the other hand, Mrs. Cecil Chesterton was able to quote the Mikado, to get from her husband a good deal of corroborative detail designed to give verisimilitude to an otherwise bald and unconvincing narrative. Of these details, some are true, some false, all arranged to support the main untruth of Francis and Gilbert's relation to one another. The thesis of the book is that Gilbert was an unhappy and frustrated man, a. because Francis shrank from consummating their marriage, and b because she dragged him away from his London life and friends to bury him in a middle-class suburb. I confess that I am Victorian enough heartily to dislike writing this appendix. Yet it is necessary, for many who read the Chestertons have supposed that a story told by so near a connection must be true. The ground was laid for the introduction of the legend by the tale of the red-haired phantom, if I may describe it in terms of a ghost story that ghost was easy to lay see introduction next comes the old account of gilbert and francis honeymoon and of the years that followed it is of course possible that the first night of their marriage was not happy especially in the victorian days of reticence which left wife and even possibly husband unprepared for life together though this did not normally prevent a happy marriage and a pack of children afterwards but I find it impossible to imagine Cecil Chesterton, like the bridesmaid on the honeymoon, receiving and passing on such a story as that of Gilbert, quivering with self-reproach, so that after the first night he dared not even contemplate a repetition. Gilbert, young and vital, was condemned to a pseudo-monastic life in which he lived with a woman, but never enjoyed one. There is a psychological reason for thinking this story especially improbable, and a physical reason for dismissing it as actually impossible. A white horse had from his childhood been for Gilbert the supreme sign of romance, and he had chosen to spend the first night of his honeymoon at the White Horse Inn. From his honeymoon he wrote home that he had a wife, a piece of string, a pencil, and a knife. What more can any man want? Ten years later, he wrote The Ballad of the White Horse and dedicated it to Francis, saying, O go you onward where you are, shall honor and laughter be, past purple forest and pearled foam, God's winged pavilion free to roam, your face that is a wandering home, a flying home for me. And over thirty years later, he wrote again of beginning his honeymoon under the shadow of the white horse and compared it to a trip to fairyland. Can any human being read the record of this recurrent motif and reconcile it with Mrs. Cecil's picture? Let me refer again to The Ballad of the White Horse. 
is it conceivable that any man should write after ten years of frustration and unhappiness up through an empty house of stars being what heart you are up the inhuman steeps of space as on a staircase go in grace carrying the firelight on your face beyond the loneliest star this is not the way a man writes to a neurotic cold-hearted woman who has made a hermit of him mrs cecil was of course never in the intimacy of the family she only married cecil in nineteen seventeen by which date gilbert and francis had been married sixteen years and before that she was merely an acquaintance but francis's intimates could have told her how absurd her story was for by a rare good fortune the operation francis underwent to enable her to bear children is itself evidence one could hardly have hoped for in a matter which civilized people are not much given to discussing francis talked of the operation to monsignor o'connor to dorothy collins and to annie Furman, and i have quoted the doctor's letter about it see above chapter fifteen it was an abiding tragedy for both husband and wife that it was unsuccessful francis would have shrunk from no suffering in her passionate wish for a child there is another curiosity in the legend gilbert despite this story was apparently perfectly happy in london during the first eight years of marriage it was only after the removal to beaconsfield and in almost middle life that he began to be frustrated poor francis what a picture of her had been proposed for posterity so powerful she could waft gilbert away from london and from his friends could force him to make her his banker and reduce him to a bounty strictly limited to half a crown yet so perilous that she had to sign the checks for g k s weekly much as she hated it her poetry described as quite charming is spoken of as appearing in little parish magazines the only papers she cared to read owing to her implacable hatred for fleet street it is hard to picture francis with an implacable hatred for anything and it will be remembered that she actually begged father o'connor to leave gilbert to be a jolly journalist the periodicals in which her poems appeared were the observer the sunday times the daily chronicle the westminster gazette and the new witness personally i have never much admired francis's verse but a professional journalist might have been quite pleased at making all these papers not one poem ever appeared in a parish magazine so far as either dorothy or i have been able to ascertain the point is not a very important one but the sneer is symptomatic a curious magic pervades the chestertons succulent sausages appear in the kitchen at overstrand mansions and flow in torrents of beer so that gilbert can steal away from an unsympathetic wife to consume them with his fleet street friends a studio materializes in a meadow at beaconsfield can we imagine gilbert cooking or even ordering sausages getting beer to the flat designing or discovering the studio anyone thinking about what really happened would realize that francis ordered the beer and sausages francis built the studio but that is not the sort of thought we are to think about francis about her we are told that she always wore the wrong colors that she gave gilbert insufficient and indigestible food that she did not know what work meant that mrs belloc thought gilbert ought to beat her that she kept the journalists away when gilbert was dying in point of fact both telephone and doorbell were so near the sick room 
that the use of both had to be avoided that she did not give her guests enough to eat at his funeral that she actually sought the quiet of her own room instead of staying downstairs to receive condolences when her husband's coffin had just been lowered into the grave with all this spate of detail we are not told that francis left one thousand pounds to mrs cecil plus five hundred pounds for her cecil houses even if i could have ignored the attack on francis i should be obliged as his biographer to deal with the attack on gilbert more subtly but no less certainly made the story of the marriage affects gilbert as much as francis and the book culminates in the final assertion that his drinking killed him here are the comments sent to me by dorothy of the doctor who attended gilbert and francis from nineteen nineteen until they died today dr bakewell came in and answered the questions about the book which we asked him one he says that the idea that g k was better when drinking in fleet street because the stimulus of conversation would eat up effects of the alcohol is absolute nonsense it would have just as bad an effect under any conditions dr bakewell said that g k was his patient for nearly twenty years and that during that time he never treated him for alcoholism or saw any trace of it though in an absent-minded way he was always liable to drink too much of anything if it were there even water without the understanding loving tactful care of francis he would have died twenty years before certainly if he had racketed around fleet street any longer dr blakewell said gilbert was perfectly happy in beaconfield and not in any way frustrated there was no frustration of any kind and no longing for london life or friends he was very intimate with gilbert and would have known if there had been two the doctor says that gilbert died of a failing heart owing to fatty degeneration leading to dropsy three francis had arthritis of the spine not curvature as stated by mrs cecil the doctor said that he put him on the water wagon several times and when this was done gilbert observed the rule most meticulously dr bakewell said that he did not do it very often because he did not consider that drink was in any way affecting gilbert's health during the greater part of the time he knew him in a later conversation he added that when he did forbid alcohol at certain periods it was simply to make liquid less attractive as too much of even water was bad for gilbert the statement made by mrs cecil that drinking in london was not so serious because the talk and excitement among friends would carry off the effects is thought by doctors almost comic dr bakewell denies it absolutely dr pocock who it will be remembered attended gilbert during his illness of nineteen fourteen to fifteen says absolute nonsense would probably have been worse in london he adds also i cannot understand why such an attack was made upon g k from my personal observation he owed a very great deal to mrs g k who greatly helped his restoration to health one can get one's penrith of fun out of the chapter on the exile of beaconsfield when one remembers the true story of those years rome jerusalem u s a poland france spain malta lectures all over england lively contests for the lord rectorship of three universities london again and again for editing mock trials debates and distributus binos and frequently in furnished flats which francis would take for the winter months 
one can only suppose that mrs cecil was so little intimate with them that she did not realize all this and then beaconsfield itself parties in the studio people down from london visitors from poland france america italy holland and other countries the eric gills the bernard shaws the emile camerts and others living in the neighborhood the guest-room was always occupied by some intimate meanwhile the books poured out of the little study mrs cecil thinks gilbert hardly ever wrote again a masterpiece after living in battersea yet in support of this idea she lists as masterpieces the ball and the cross written at beaconsfield lepanto written at beaconsfield magic written at beaconsfield stevenson written at beaconsfield and the ballad of the white horse mainly written at beaconsfield of all the books she mentions in this connection only three were written in london and she admits that the world at large did not share her view of the sterilizing effect of beaconsfield for she writes meanwhile his fame grew wider his sales greater in exile he ruled the literary world gilbert left to mrs cecil chesterton sums equal to those later left to her by francis one thousand pounds for herself and five hundred pounds for cecil houses the ingratitude that omitted all mention of these benefactions struck the imagination of several of the chesterton family as the worst feature in the book but to gilbert and francis the giving of money even in their own lifetime was a slight matter they had given something far greater why was the memory of cecil chesterton alive to-day because of his brother's labors why is it possible for mrs cecil to declare that he was the greater editor to imply that he was the greater man because gilbert kept saying so never has such devotion been shown by one brother to the memory of another never has the greater man exalted the lesser to such a pedestal we are told in the chestertons that francis sacrificed both gilbert and herself on the altar of her family truly there was much self-sacrifice in the lives of both to family friends and causes they did not feel it as self-sacrifice to enrich the lives of others even at cost to themselves but the heaviest cost they paid lay in the years of a toll that was literally killing gilbert while francis watched him growing old too soon and straining his heart with work crushingly heavy and if there was a single altar for that supreme sacrifice it was no other than the altar of cecil's memory end of chapter forty eight end of gilbert keith chesterton by Maisie ward